Hello, and welcome to episode 110 of The Winning Agenda. Tonight, our panellists for the new year of 2017 are the classic Wilfred E. Horrig, our favourite Bioroid. How are you, Wilfie? Excellent. Glad Good to have to you here. start off the new year the way it should, with some sweet, sweet content delivered straight into your ears. Yes, uh, and Wilfie's favourite companion, the one and only Hollis Echo. How are you, Hollis? I'm fantastic. It feels so good to be Wilfred, Wilfred's favorite companion because he's my favorite Byroid. Jeeves means nothing to me, Wilfie. Now, I don't oh, care if you saw amazing. the emails. Now, why, yeah, Jeeves isn't a Byroid, so yeah. Possibly slightly oh, racist so, of you there, Hollis, to assume that. That means that, that means he can still remain, though. It's like a loophole that I get past. It's fantastic. Yeah, so you can love both of them equally. Yeah, on the topic yes. of Byroids, um, while we were in the US for Worlds, I picked up uh, Neuromancer. Do you remember that, Wolfie? We were at the yeah, Science Museum definitely. in Boston. Yeah, so I picked that up, and I actually finished reading that recently. I'm sure there are lots of fans out there of Neuromancer, people who like the cyberpunk genre generally. Uh, but it certainly got me thinking about artificial intelligence and bioroids, and there's a lot of uh, inspiration for Netrunner generally in the Neuromancer story, you, you know, making runs and um, ice, all sorts of terms that are used in that novel that are obviously the genesis of the cyberpunk world that the original game was based in. Um, but for those of you who've read the book, you know that the at the core of it is this um, question about... Um, the singularity, the point where artificial intelligence gains sentience, I suppose. Uh, and there's, a, I guess, an inherent question in that and some of the stories that spawn from it, like The Matrix, about whether we really want artificial intelligence to be um, sentient in the way that humans are and to have the same rights and abilities as humans do and what that will mean for our world. Do you have any thoughts on that, Wolfie? Uh, I think it's a very interesting question if the readers, or the listeners rather, or I guess readers of Neuromancer and cyberpunk fiction in general have any opinions, I think we'd all be enlightened by them. Uh, my colleague at work was recommending Snow Crash to me today. Have you guys read it? No. Oh, okay, it's I apparently haven't... another similar like seminal cyberpunk work. Oh, I thought it was like a, an icebreaker program that you were going to use to uh, break the ice that constrains your bioroid systems to allow you to break free and be truly sentient of course no it's a, it's a novel is it it's a novel it is a novel ah and um how are you going in in your struggle to uh, break free from the directives that the the Haas bioroid corporation has inflicted upon you um will 2017 herald any breakthroughs in that department do you think look we'll see it's still there's still been only six days so far so there's lots of time yeah we've still got terminal directive to come this year so perhaps that will enlighten us a little more i'm certain that that will herald a new era in human by road relationship fantastic and hollis how are you feeling about 2017 i understand you're snowed in today not not even allowed to leave the house and go to work yeah, apparently uh, I'm, I'm supposed to go to work today. I got an email last night, late last night, telling me that uh, the location where I work would not be open due to inclement weather conditions. So, what a shame. Uh, yeah, it, it's just horrible. I don't even know what I'm going to do when I, while I stay home and get paid to do nothing. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> rough. Um, to be fair, though, uh, you guys yeah. do get a lot less annual leave days than what we do, so... I think it's only fair that you get to make up for it with some inclement weather days. 
I don't mind it. I don't mind a. I don't mind a snow day at all. Um, it just means I get to stay home and uh, sleep in a little bit and uh, get to uh, talk to you gentlemen uh, at length about some some Netrunner. That's fantastic. Um, I wanted to chime in also about um, uh, about my uh, what I think about the existence of AI. And, oh yes, please do. Wanna, something that we want to you know really seek to uh, I guess to justify the creation of. Uh, there is a quote. From a uh, from an author in a very specific uh, play that he has written uh, that's recently been featured in a TV show, and I will that quote is: "These violent delights have violent ends." Mm. That's pretty much it. That's all I have to say about that. So that, that pretty much sums up that. your view on the issue. Uh, so it sums up Jonathan Nolan's view, uh, which I'm sure there's going to be listeners out there that have seen the recent TV show Westworld, who's connected that dot also. Fantastic. Uh, Wolfie, and, you should watch that show, by the way. Yeah, I keep on getting told to watch it. Um, but there's just so many things to watch. But I do think it is pretty high on my list, so I'm sure I'll get around to it soon. You do have more time than the rest of us since you don't need to sleep, so you don't really have an excuse. <laughs> uh, so we, another year for you, Hollis, of getting up at 5 a.m. That's exciting. Uh, to, be, uh, to be quite honest with you, the one thing that this w- this does for me is that you almost completely guarantee that I am not late on those days to work. Um, <laughs> so just know that while while it may seem like it's a fairly big commitment, it's actually incredibly helpful to make sure I get to get my ass to work on time. You've got so an Australian true. alarm clock comprised of two yes. living people, well, one living person and a program, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> the Today, though, uh, we're not going to be talking about store champs because I don't think any of us have actually been to a store championship since our last episode uh, because of the Christmas New Year hiatus. Instead, we're going to be talking, we're going to be looking to the future a little bit, to the next pack, which is coming out on, I think, the 12th of January is the street date, and we seem to be getting packs a little closer to street date than we did before, which is great. Even in Australia, we're going to have some retailers actually selling it on the date that it comes out, and that pack is Corum. Uh, so this is the last pack, I believe, in the cycle. Uh, yes, that's correct. It's the very last one out of this. What, what what's this one? To the flashpoint. Flashpoint. Second flashpoint. That's what it is. Yeah. The very last one. It's uh, yeah. it's it's the end of Damon's first cycle. And I think after we're done with this these pack reviews over the next couple of episodes, we'll have the runner side this week and then the corp side next week. Uh, we'll probably do a. A bit of a retrospective when we haven't really done a, a bit of a wrap up on 2016 yet so i think we might do that take a look at some of our cards that we've enjoyed the strategies we've enjoyed and some of the things that we perhaps haven't enjoyed so much but there's been an incredible amount of change i think this year from what was the middle of the Mumbad cycle i think at the start of 2016 until the end of the flashpoint cycle now at the very start of 2017 the games shifted and changed significantly do you have any particular thoughts that you'd like to tease us with on that today Wilfie before we dive into the into quorum um not so much except that I think that Damon's first cycle as lead developer has definitely shaken up the game in a way that many of us were not expecting when well we weren't really sure what to expect I guess is more the point and we've it's definitely been a little out of left field so I'm excited to see how that continues into the future. Mm. If you could sum up, I guess, just in a, a minute or so, how you think the game has changed 
com under Damon compared to Lucas. I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts because I feel like it's changed almost in a, a subtle way that's really hard to articulate, but it certainly does feel like it plays differently. Have you managed to sort of put a hand, put your finger on exactly what it is? Um, I'm not certain exactly, but I do think that there's been a steady, I guess, um, move towards individual cards being much more important than, and your opening hand being more important as it is, like, you know, the game seems like it's determined more now earlier than it used to be. I don't know if that's necessarily true or if it just feels that way, but it definitely seems like Flashpoint is pushing in the direction of having cards that are very impactful at particular points in the game while not being as generally useful as they as cards have been in previous cycles, but it's possible. Like I haven't spent too much time thinking about that. That's just my gut feeling based on how I what I think about this year compared to the previous years, so We'll see whether that um, continues into red sand or whether sort of maybe it, the pendulum swings towards the middle a little bit. Mm, and I think we'll, we'll dive a little bit more deeply into that and also into looking at how the quest to bring the game back towards a more run-oriented game has gone. From the That was certainly a stated goal of the designers that we heard from Damon when he was on our show. And we'll chat a bit about how that's come off and whether we think that's happened, but also some of the the more powerful cards like hard-hitting news that's shaken up the game, but also the different strategies that have come out and whether we think the game is more diverse now than it was before. Hollis, do you have any brief thoughts on all those issues before we to tease our listeners with before we dive into Quorum? Uh, the one thing I hope that we get a, a chance to discuss uh, more is going to be the uh, uh, how, how, how much uh, more important it is. Uh, Wolfie touched on this in, in what he said, how, much, how, how it feels like, the first couple of turns of the game seem way more important because everything happens so quickly. Development, um, as far as the uh, development on each each side, because of cards available in each faction, are um, uh, allow for like basically a good portion of the game to be determined very very early. Uh, I can't state with any one hundred percent certainty if I if I'm in the camp of it's way better or way worse or even slightly better or slightly worse. I think I, I would need to take a, a, a longer time and think about it, consider, consider it a bit more, maybe even ask for some different uh, other opinions. But uh, yeah, I think, it's, a, I think it's, it's an interesting question and it's definitely worth covering on a, on a future episode for sure. Fantastic. So we might, on that note, uh, while we've whetted your appetite there, we might move on to Corum, and we're going to deal with, as I said, the runner side today. And the first card is... Probably one of the aforementioned impactful cards, although may not fall necessarily into the basket that Wilfie was talking about of if you don't draw at a particular time, it's not as useful. Although certainly one that you'd want to have in your opening hand, and it's Cypher. It's an Anarch hardware console, five cost, one influence. It gives you two memory units, and once per turn, when you encounter a piece of ice, you can choose to lower your hand size by one until your next turn, your maximum hand size, that is, and the ice has its strength reduced to zero for the rest of the encounter. Wilfie and Hollis, I assume we're both going to have some thoughts on this. So Wilfie, we'll throw to you first. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on this as a, an Anarch card, but also as a one influence card that can be splashed into other factions? Okay, so firstly, I guess we'll talk about it from an Anarch perspective. I think the way I look at this card is 
compared to the other consoles, what it does is one, it's a console that gives you two memory, like Grimoire, um, which I suppose is sort of self-evident, but sort of makes more sense when you go into the second point, which is that it's like a supercharged data sucker in that, I mean, it does basically what data sucker does. Um, it has some advantages and some disadvantages that doesn't, can't be purged, but also you can only use it once per turn, no matter how much you've generated an advantage. So with data sucker, you can play data sucker early. Then if your plan is to run quite like, a lot over the early turns, which it usually is because Temujin is so strong, then Data Sucker allows you to generate counters which eventually get turned into advantage between fixed breakers, uh, Parasite, Faust, etc. Basically anything you want. And so this is a bit more long-term oriented in that it doesn't require you to make runs early, but also can't be used multiple times per turn. So like the fact that it can't be purged is, I think, quite an important thing because it means that suddenly, even if the corp, the runner has no virus counters on the board, Parasite plus this is still a threat to kill any ice. So I think that's very powerful. Um, and an in ability, terms of the uses that is, you spoke about for Data Sucker and that it can be used with Faust, it can be used with Parasite and other icebreakers, do you think this pairs best with Parasite because of the once per turn restriction? Yeah, definitely, because that's the way to ensure that you get the maximum advantage out of this um, compared to Data Sucker is to use it with Parasite, which kills the ice immediately, as opposed to Data Sucker, which can be used on multiple pieces of ice and sort of to smooth out your running, but isn't as powerful for one ice that you want to break each turn so or interact with, I guess. In some ways, then, it feels a little bit like the Blackmail on Passant strategy. It's just another way that you can sort of go all in in your deck on destroying ice and removing it from the board, um, requiring some combos in your hand. Like, presumably, you'll need ways to recur your parasites, possibly clone chips, deja vus. You'll need to have parasite. You need to have this early. And if you do, then you can take down ice either at instant speed with clone chip or the slower way by installing the parasite on the ice once it's already rezzed. That is powerful, but it does have as a strategy its advantages and disadvantages compared to something like Blackmail on Passant. It's probably I more think... repeatable in some ways, but you do have to let them res the ice potentially and take the hit. It might cost more influence. I think what are the your main thoughts on advantage... Oh, keep going, it's fine. No, I was just going to say, what are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah, yeah. So the I think the main advantage I see is that you're not so locked in to... Um, not letting them res their ice early. Like, I know that the Blackmail Ampersand deck can definitely let the corp res their ice, especially if they're low in credits with Siphon, but you really have to plan your runs early so that they can't, they don't end up resing an ice that's really hard to deal with because that deck has not very many ways to deal with already resed ice. Mm. Um, so I think this is a bit different in that it's less efficient in general or maybe less efficient in general, like, compared to Ampersant, I mean, compared to Blackmail Ampersant, it's a bit more of a resource investment, but it doesn't tie you down into only being able to... It gives you a bit more flexibility in building your decks so that you can run early, which means I think it fits better into the Temujin game plan, which is probably, I think, still the best runner, like, 
route to take even if Black Mountain Lumpersand is so powerful and that's what makes this really pushes this really over the top I think that it yeah just it definitely fits, so fits well in with, with existing Anarch cards right yeah yeah it fits in well with the, that existing suite and all the existing tools that you want to be playing it just makes them a little bit more powerful um, the question, the other question uh, that some people might ask, I suppose, early on is, is five too much to be paying for a console? It can be a bit of a setback for those Anarch decks that aren't necessarily the richest decks to be paying three or more for your console in addition to paying money for your breakers like Faust, in addition to paying for Parasites, etc. Um, is five going to be too much of a tempo hit in those first few turns if you don't find a Temujin? Like, five is a lot of a tempo hit. That's definitely the main drawback to this card. But the fact that it pairs so well with Parasite in killing their ice to turn your Temujin back on makes me, like, really feel like the cost is not as big as it seems just because of the impact it can have even on the first turn it gets on the board, I think. Like, mm. being able to play this Parasite and run, kill it immediately just is such a huge tempo hit if your opponent is raising an ice that is conceivably going to keep you out in the long term. Yeah, and Corpse is still not that rich that they can afford to be losing too much ice over the course of a game. Yeah, um, I think it really just accelerates the best Anarch game plan at the moment. Right. What are your thoughts, Alex? I, I mean, well, in, in addition to that, I also feel like, in, in general, it just, even if... Even though it's amazing paired with Parasite, the fact remains is, is that it still lends itself well just for the other problems that you encounter during a runner. Or, sorry, during a run, uh, as a runner. Like, basically, if you are using fairly efficient breakers, like, for example, I know that at Worlds, we all decided we would use Black Orchestra. Um, there's definitely there's definitely a million scenarios, mostly encountering Fairchild 3.0 where I would rather just lose a card and make the text on that or make the strength on Fairchild zero to overall reduce the amount of money I would pay breaking with Black Orchestra. Um, yeah. There's there's a million scenarios where, for example, I would rather uh, basically use the, the cards that install from the heap, even though they're not the most efficient, uh, just for the, I guess, the additional, uh, you know, I guess uh, the additional redundancy, the additional... Uh, recursion I have that's they come with those cards even if they're not the most efficient breakers because this card is going to help shore up that weakness where I'm going to spend a lot more money getting through I sort of decide to spend a card similarly to how I would look at Faust uh, to get a great economic benefit I think that also um, we talked about this right before we started recording but if you guys recall we did that interview with Damon right mm. uh, do you do either of you or do both of you think that this is the card he was referring to when he was discussing a powerful card in Anarch? That people told him should instantly be on the MWL as soon as it's released? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I would have thought so. There doesn't really seem to be any other Anarch card in this cycle that screams overpowered in the way that this potentially does. What are your thoughts, Wolfie? Um, it could yeah, be Paperclip, I, mean... I guess. Paperclip and this, I think, are the two best Anarch cards. Yeah, it's a bit hard to sort of speculate on what could have been meant just because, you know, play testing and what turns out to actually be the case in the real world, for whatever reason, often differ. But this, I will just say that this card seems evidently very powerful and evidently pushed in the sense that it sort of slots neatly into a number of already extremely good strategies in the way that MWL cards sort of tend to do, 
like either they develop new strategies or like basically they don't it doesn't take very much work to make this card good which is a good candidate for an mwl card i think and just if we briefly touch on before we move on to the next card we might just briefly touch on the costs that you're required to pay in order to um get the zero strength which is that you lower your hand size by one until your maximum hand size by one until the next turn to me that seems quite an inconsequential cost for a very powerful effect given that you know you obviously might not have the maximum number of cards in your turn so it may not actually be any impost on you at all um but losing one card potentially is also not too bad when it gives you such a powerful effect you know, you you pitch an ice to give you sorry, pitch a card to give fast plus two strength. You'd definitely be willing to pitch a card to reduce an ice's strength by X, which is probably greater than two. What are your thoughts on that, Wilfie and Hollis? Anyone feel free to jump in. Uh, well, I totally agree. I, I think that um, if we're gonna look at the way you know we we have judged and and reviewed Faust uh, and its power level based on the fact that you're using a you know a non-standard way to either up strength or break uh, subroutines. Cypher being the extreme end of the getting the most value out of the strength aspect is going to be clearly good. I mean, it, it's almost like a, um, in a in a post in a post Faust world where Faust you know had dominated uh, in some cases is still dominating um, the meta pretty heavily. Uh, the The fact of the matter is that alternative ways that the runner has to reduce strength on ice so they don't just have to put straight credits they can split their economy a bit is usually going to be a very positive thing for the runner i i don't know any other way to to look at it we we i mean even down to cards like uh going a bit off the deep end here but even down to cards uh uh other ai cards like uh oh my god i can't remember the neutral one that gets a counter for every mu you have over over yeah like even even down to Overmind, over even Overmind isn't super efficient. There's a value there in the fact that it gets counters that aren't exactly credits that you spend to help break subroutines. I mean, this is any way that you can cheat paying money in some way is yeah. going to be fantastic for the runner. Any way you can cheat it. Yeah, and certainly the trade of one hand size for what could conceivably be up to ten or more strength reduction is. A very very good exchange um one other thing that i'll throw to you quickly wilfie is do you think that this will herald playability of null potentially given that it has synergy with what null would want to be doing in terms of null encourages you to play breakers that want you to reduce strength this provides you another way on top of nulls once per turn to reduce strength will they Mm. pair together be powerful enough or do you think it's just too hard to forego the other powerful anarch id abilities like wizard yeah maybe but i think the issue with null is and always has been that it gives you something which anarchs are already very good at that is interacting with ice mid-run or like just breaking ice in general at efficient rates and doesn't give you the things which anarchs aren't so good at still which is early game resource flow like wizard valencia or max do yep Cool. The next card in the pack is Sunya. It is a, another Anarch card. It's a program icebreaker killer. Costs three, one memory unit, one strength, and it's three influence. When you break all subroutines on a piece of ice with Sunya, put one power counter on Sunya. Sunya has plus one strength for each power counter on it. Reminder, it starts with one strength. 
it costs two to break one sentry subroutine. To me, Hollis, this seems a little bit under the curve. I don't ever really like seeing two to break a sub. That always tends to escalate pretty quickly over the course of a game. Two is just so much more than one, particularly when you start multiplying it across every subroutine you encounter. And the strength gain of this, given that it can't actually boost itself, the likelihood of you running into a one-strength sentry and then a two-strength sentry, etc., etc., on its own, naturally, seems pretty low. So you need to pair this with something like Cypher or Data Sucker. Do you think those two restrictions are, are too much to make it playable over something like Mimic or... Uh, what was the MK Ultra? Mark Ultra. Yeah, I, um, no question. I, I think that it, it definitely kind of puts it outside where, you know, if, if we're just reviewing the card, I guess, sort of competitively, which is what we always do, right? Um, it puts it outside the scope of really where you want to be as far as a an efficient, consistent, good century breaker. Like you said, already not being a three strength sort of uh, or easily pumpable to three um, sort of limits um, – I guess it's usability because a lot of the, a lot of the, some of the best centuries you're going to encounter are going to be three or four strength. It's a very common, uh, uh, strength threshold on top of that. The mere fact, so many, so many centuries that are played right now have two plus subs. So when you have, when the breaker is two credits to break a single sub, I'm already tacking on an additional two credit tax minimal on every century that I break for that point going forward. Um, and that's not that is not that is not making the card attractive in the mm. regard. It's just not. Wilfie, any uh, thoughts on Sonya? Yeah. Oh, sorry, health. Oh no, that's good. I'm good. Wilfie? Uh not really. I just as you said, comparing it to Mimic and comparing it to Mark Ultra both leave this looking pretty sub optimal. Okay. Um one thing that I actually wanted to mention on Cypher, which I forgot was the, the one influence side of things and where it could potentially be played outside Anarch as a powerful effect. I've been thinking for a while that Shapers could potentially go back to Splashing Parasite, even though it's quite expensive. I think it is the best value uh, card that you can get off a clone chip and with more high strength ice around, it's worthwhile considering it. But splashing in the data suckers and having them hosted in your rig is quite difficult. Having a one influence console that gives you plus two memory which is what shapers often want and gives you a relevant ability that you can use with parasite just to get rid of those problem ice i think is something worth considering um for shaper players that are playing those sort of toolbox decks uh might just move on not not, probably not worth discussing that any further um (laughs) the next card is reconnaissance drone is a crim hardware cost one and it's three influence it's got one ability it's x credits and then trash it Prevent X damage while accessing a card. So this is your your anti-snare protection or your anti-trap protection of all sorts. Hollis, do you see this being useful at the moment in terms of traps that you're likely to access? Uh, no. There you go. We're done. Uh, easy, easy peasy. Uh, GG easy. I don't know. Um, I feel like there's not a hefty amount of net uh damage that would that that or net or meat damage or brain damage if you will uh that occurred during access um usually you're you know you're like you said you're only going to see it in terms of like snare uh i will say that i am happy that this card does exist however because in my head there exists this magical unicorn meta where 
everyone's playing Cypher, which means that decks that play net damage and meat damage on access are more popular, which means that this card actually becomes a uh, decent card include. <clears throat> so yeah, if A plus B equals C, then Reconnaissance Drone sounds like an amazing card that Criminal will slot uh, right now. Because okay. it's three influence, so it's not getting slotted anywhere else. That is true. Uh, any thoughts, Wolfie, on this as a damage prevention option? Um, I love running into Snare. It's basically one of my favorite things. But <laughs> this card is just much too narrow, I think, to see play at the moment. And while we have been wrong, like, at the moment, I guess, is a fairly vague descriptor. I mean that we have been wrong with things like networking, which have been terrible for ages and then turned out to actually be sick. But this card I'm a lot more skeptical about just because even if net and uh, damage during access, specifically net damage, I don't think there are very many good ways to deal meat damage during access, even if that does become... Are you saying that you've never died to Edge of World? Uh, that deals brain damage? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, okay. But like, I think that... If that actually were a problem, feedback filter deals with that this issue much, much more cleanly than this, which does so in a narrow way and is only one influence. So I think that's the key for any criminals who are worried about that. And you also have Citadel Sanctuary, and I just can't see a spot where this card would actually be worth a slot in your deck. Yeah. Cool. Uh, that's probably a good thing for the playability of Argus with Snares at any point in the future. Um Tapeworm is the next card. It's another criminal card. It's a virus program. It costs zero, one MU, two influence. First time I've seen a criminal virus for quite a while. Install Tapeworm only if you have made a successful run on a central server this turn. At the start of your turn, gain one credit for each five credits the corp has. Trash Tapeworm if the corp purges virus counters. If only it was that easy to get rid of an actual Tapeworm. Uh, <laughs> just purge those virus counters. Hollis... Thoughts first on the flavor? You know, you get in there into the central servers, you leave your little tapeworm, and then you get a bit of, you know, you're sucking on the corpse resources over time. So that's pretty good uh, flavor. Uh, it's great flavor. Uh, let's actually, let's let's spend a good 30 minutes discussing the flavor. I know Wolfie <laughs> will enjoy this greatly. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> yeah, we had some cards spoiled recently. They make it seem like... Uh, Purging uh, might be a bit more common in future sets. Uh-huh. Uh, we already we already have cards that pretty much purge at will now. Uh, our, our purge, sorry, um, as a uh, upgrades a purge basically, so the corp doesn't have to spend their entire turn. And I think that uh, a card like Tapeworm uh, is way less good than other existing viruses available to the decks that want to run a lot of viruses. Uh, in general, any virus that effectively gets purged and deleted tends to not be very popular unless it's used almost immediately uh, to avoid... Uh, I mean, really, to be useful. The biggest benefit of the card is that it costs zero, right? Like, a, mm. if, if, you're, if noise comes back in, in, a, in a big way somehow, uh, having additional viruses that... Uh, cost nothing would be fantastic oh wait but it's too influenced so that'll never happen so yeah uh i mean honestly it doesn't look that great to me wilfie uh, can you can you see a place wilfie potentially for this in a criminal curve where 
admittedly it doesn't restrict the corpse resources which is sometimes what crims want to be doing in the early game and would probably be better if it did that similar to a lamprey style effect but it doesn't do that so can you see this having a role in progressing those criminal economies at what can be quite a drastic rate like if the corp has between 10 and 15 credits which is not unreasonable in the first few turns of the game gaining two credits a turn as the runner um for having zero investment is quite a good return can crims put enough pressure on to punish the corpse for having purged to get rid of this and do crims need a card like this more importantly to give them that passive economy gain at that phase in the game do you think um good question i think one thing to note is that um sort of there are two main criminally builds i can see being good at the moment one which sort of tries to keep the corp low with siphon because siphon is still one of the better criminal cards and definitely supports a criminal strategy very well and you know, tries to get into the mid to late game with the corp having not too much of an advantage or like having an advantage over the corp and then trying to end by keeping the corp down or sort of a criminal deck that tries to ignore the corp a little bit more and plays things like Beth or Medium like I'm thinking of the Leela deck specifically that we saw leading up to worlds but basically lots of decks have a similar strategy where the end game is to just go all in with some r&d pressure at some point um which i guess is a bit more suited for this card just because for this card to be good you really have to say we're going to both have as many resources as you want and i'm going to hope that my game plan is going to trump yours and that's i think why we see beth being so good especially in slower shaper builds just especially uh, with Magnum Opus particularly just because that sort of strategy lends itself to going over the top of Corpse but I'm not so sure whether that's a good fit for Criminal at the moment and even if it is a good fit for Criminal whether a card which needs you to run successfully on a central server purges if the Corp purges and also like while having a strong ability those two drawbacks think are pretty restrictive in terms of where this card can be good i also don't really like the idea of making the corpse incidental purges good rather than not good like i think that one of the advantages to criminals most criminals how they're built at the moment is that you're fairly resilient to purges especially cyberdex which is quite a strong card and i think only going to get better with friends in high places um, so I'm a bit skeptical on whether this card can fit into a criminal deck that wants to go a bit slower and overwhelm the corp just because I think the two drawbacks are fairly bad for that sort of strategy. Mm-hmm. The next card is Tracker. It's a criminal program, zero cost, two MU, two influence. It says at the start of your turn, choose a server Click and two credits, make a run on that server, prevent the first subroutine, which would otherwise be resolved. Any thoughts, Wolfie? Uh, So I think the first card that obviously jumps to mind when comparing this is Inside Job, because they both basically let you ignore ice 
regardless of their ice type and let you get into remotes. Of course, you can get into the centrals with this as well, but since you can't pair this with run events, although you can pair it with Temujin, but you can't pair it with Siphon, that is a bit less strong. So compared to Inside Job, this has a couple advantages. The first is that you can do it multiple times, so such as to make Temujin a lot better um, on a server, which is important. But the main disadvantage is that you're not necessarily going to get through the ice if it has more than one subroutine that you can't have resolved. For example, if it has multiple end the run subroutines, or say a um, an end the run like an architect or whatever, you're not going to get past both subroutines um, like you would with inside job. So. I think that inside job is still a little more flexible even if it might not be as powerful just because it's really important when you're going to play inside job that you're going to have the certainty of being able to get through an ice regardless of what it is like we've all had the situation of needing to inside job into a two ice remote and getting bounced by the first ice or some, uh, like getting through the first ice and getting bounced by the second ice or similar so the fact that sort of that drawback is inherent to using this card is I think a bit detrimental but I'm not sure it seems like the ability could be strong if you can find a way hmm. yeah I'm not sure if I can find a way to make it better than inside job really yeah avoiding subroutines is obviously a really powerful ability because like what Hollis was talking about earlier in terms of resource exchange a subroutine can cost a lot more for the corp than it does for you to just pay the two credits Two memory though to host this is quite a lot and the fact that it's only one subroutine when we're seeing so much ice that has more than one subroutine at the moment makes me question this a little bit what do you think of that like the the multiple ice the the multiple subroutine ice and the proliferation the proliferation of that that we're seeing at the moment do you think that'll harm this and does that sort of play into what you were talking about there with the, this compared to inside job it's not as certain um yeah i definitely think so although even if there aren't that many multiple sub ice just the fact that there might be some multiple sub ice and you really can't be sure when you use this card whether it's necessarily going to get you into the server if you need to get into the server i think just makes it worse in general in that respect any thoughts Hollis? i think the wording on the card's kind of interesting because it it intentionally doesn't allow you to use cards like E3 Feedback Implant as a means to bypass a piece of ice entirely because of the actual, of how the card works. All the subroutines get to fire and then you simply choose one of the first one that would fire and then say, no, this doesn't happen as opposed to you break one, right? Um, yeah. So it's, that makes it a little weaker because it, it really can't, you can't really use it in combination with anything else. And just as you know, you guys have discussed, <clears throat> it's it it has a really awkward space i feel like where it's useful maybe in time someone will figure something out this happens all the time in netrunner i think will where someone sees the you know the code in the matrix i guess but i feel like in the late game i think you're better off just breaking the ice um pun intended uh i, f I feel you're better off just breaking the ice and using uh you know the 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 icebreaker just to say all right whatever i'm not going to let the third or fourth subroutine fire it's just it's i'm just going to spin the credit and break it and uh i feel like before that you encounter an issue where for example if the ice is eli on the on the server you need to get into 
Well, you're not really doing very much. You're basically training a click for a credit, or uh, excuse me, uh, a click for two credits here. I guess um, there is one uh, criminal card that does allow one subroutine to fire, and that's grappling hook. So there could yeah. be a grappling hook combo there. Possibly, yeah. Um, Recurring yeah, grappling I, hooks hasn't always been the most powerful strategy, though, and I doubt it will be. <laughs> and then I think it's also this card is too immune. Which means they expected the power level of it to be significant, right? At two MU, you would imagine. So, mm. yeah. All right, interesting. The next one is Aaron Marin. Interesting name. Uh, is a unique criminal resource, a connection. It's two cost at Therese, and it's two influence. When an agenda is scored or stolen, place two power counters on Aaron Marin. Remove a power counter remove a tag and draw a card that seems pretty efficient to me and is another card that really efficiently answers 24 7 news cycle yeah given that you're you've got an instant speed way to not only remove a tag but also draw cards and i think the fact that this does both means that it can also do either in that removing tags is sometimes important but also having a way to draw cards and instant speed on the corpse turn can also be really important in terms of avoiding damage. This seems quite flexible, also given that it triggers off both stealing and scoring. Do you have any thoughts on it, Hollis? Uh, I love cards like this uh, because they sit back, they're sort of passive. They, they, while they, they may depend on uh, the usefulness of this card in particular, may depend on the, uh, the corpse game plan as far as how useful this card it would be. Uh, it just it kind of just chills in the background. You, you set it down. It gets it gets these power counters added as the game is played, and against decks that want to tag you or try to kill you or a combination thereof of both, you can just simply you you take the two credits, you turn those power counters into real, you know, in game changes. Even in, even in scenarios where um, the corp isn't trying to tag you let's be honest which corp in the world is not trying to tag you uh even in scenarios where the corp is not trying to tag you you still turn agendas being scored into drawing a card which to me is pretty beneficial um in the criminal faction it means that you get to sort of uh wombo combo this with other cards that you're already going to use right you're already going to use siphon so why not you uh if you're going to siphon the corp why not be able to use aaron moron and uh spin a counter remove one of your tags and draw a card I mean, I mean, even even in that scenario, you're getting this additional benefit that comes out of having a card like this in play. Um, so when you start combining that with the other fantastic tools that uh, the criminal has that are used, things like networking, um, maybe cards like on the lamb, uh, you basically get this kind of fairly large blanket of tag protection. You're going to have the ability to draw some extra cards, and uh, the investment isn't too ridiculous, I don't think, for Aaron. So yeah, I like it. Any thoughts, Wolfie? Yeah, I think this card is really powerful. I think the main two things to note is that one, it doesn't entirely, but it does mostly blank breaking news in that um, if they score breaking news, you can immediately use this, which also protects itself. Like, it's good no matter what they're trying to do with their breaking news, which is pretty a pretty important trait to have. And if you can score an agenda which is not the hardest thing to do in the world as a runner you can be safe from 24 7 as as well so just having this card in play i think is 
just makes your game plan a lot safer against basically any deck that's trying to tag you um, in multiple ways. And additionally, I think it might be very strong, much stronger in Leela for a similar reason. The first is that Leela really wants as many cards as possible, which are strong early, just so you have cards, like, so your opening hands are always good to sort of offset the drawback compared to Andromeda that you get four fewer cards. You really want those cards to be impactful. And this card is really impactful early. And also, of course, it synergizes with... It does the same sort of thing that you want to do in a Lila deck anyway, which is try and expend your resources to get steals and sort of snowball your game plan from there. So if you can score an agenda, steal an agenda early, then you're protected from tags, you can draw cards if necessary, so you're protected from damage, and you can really... And if, like, neither of those things are necessary, then you can sort of make your economy a lot more efficient by removing the tags from Siphon. So I think this card is really, really strong in a lot of situations which criminals find themselves in at the moment. And mere minutes after I was talking about how the Argus security players among us would be re- breathing a sigh of relief that Reconnaissance Drone isn't being played, we have a card that almost single-handedly blanks the Argus security ID. So there you go. <laughs> R.I.P. Argus. <laughs> Aaron shuts that down well and truly. The next card is Encore. It's the first Shaper card. It's an event. It costs zero, and it's four influence. Take that, everyone else. Uh, play only if you've made a successful run on R&D, HQ, and Archives this turn. Take an additional turn after this one. Remove Encore from the game instead of trashing it. So this is, I think, the first time we've seen a, a Time Walk effect in Netrunner. Wilfie, do you have any thoughts about how relevant or otherwise that will be? It's obviously less relevant for runners than Corpse having extra clicks. We've discussed that in the past. But having a whole additional turn is good, although the cost that this card asks you to pay to get that additional turn is to spend pretty much your whole turn making runs. Is a Shaper deck going to be able to leverage enough out of those three central server runs to make this worthwhile? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, which is that these kind of cards are good when they synergize with, you know, when you turn combo card A and combo card B into something which neither of those two cards could accomplish individually. So... You have Hyperdriver and Notoriety, which individually, you know, are okay, but together let you score many, many points, like, let you construct a game plan of gain to seven points without necessarily having to steal that many agendas, which means you can focus on saving up a mega turn. Whereas this is kind of the opposite of that, where you Hyperdriver so you can do this, and then the net result is that you just get more clicks which you have spent your whole deck building decisions, all your deck building decisions are sort of spent like getting those extra clicks but not having anything really impactful to do them with so I just think this kind of card works on a real really weird axis where you just spend some clicks now uh, doing less efficient things to get some clicks later and that I think isn't really a good way to win a game of Netrunner. The uh, Hollis, do you have any any thoughts on this? No, I think Wolfie nailed it. Like, cool. That's 100% um, what I think. The other interesting thing about this card is that I believe we asked Damon 
or somebody asked Damon whether you could stack this, um, as in whether you could play multiple encores in a turn to stack up to queue up multiple turns. Uh, and the ruling, I believe, tentatively was no that you can only take one additional turn. You can't take multiple additional turns, which also I think makes this card a bit worse. Because if you could have that hyperdriver strategy where you could just tack these on as your last few clicks, it increases the value of it significantly when you can take three additional turns instead of just one and you only have to pay the cost or meet the trigger condition once. Um, so yeah, hopefully, I mean, for this card's playability, I hope that it is the case that you can play three of them on one turn and take three additional turns but we will wait and see whether that is clarified. The next card is Forks. It is a Shaper Program Icebreaker Killer. It is five cost, one memory unit, one strength, two influence. So it's the second one strength killer we've had in this pack, I think, uh, but this one's two influence. It's one credit to break a sentry sub, so it's already looking a little bit better than our friend, what was it, Sanya. Um, it costs X to gain X strength for the remainder of the run, you have to spend at least one credit from a stealth card. Uh, so, this is the stealth sentry breaker, comparing it to dagger, costs two more. Um, it's got an extra strength, which is relevant, given that we've got Cobra and other one strength sentries hanging around. It only costs one to break a sentry sub, so that's pretty efficient. It costs X to gain X strength, though. Uh, which is quite a lot worse than one credit to gain five strength, which Dagger had. I'm a little bit disappointed, to be honest. I mean, this is... The latest cycle of Stealth Breakers seem to have gone a little bit backwards in terms of the differential between what a Stealth Credit is worth and what a Normal Credit is worth for pumping strength. Um, the Barrier Breaker, the name of which escapes me, Blackstone, also had quite a bad... Uh, strength uh, strength gain ratio in terms of pumping with stealth credits uh, this seems even worse having to essentially pay the same number it's like one to pump or yes it re remains for the rest of the run but I don't really think that that ability has proven relevant enough often enough to really be valued particularly highly so this for me looks quite a lot worse than dagger what are your thoughts Wolfie? Yeah, so I think this card can be compared to Guardian Blade. I know that Sentry Breakers have traditionally not been as efficient as Code Gate Breakers, but if you look at it like that, this card is basically the same as Guardian Blade. Like, it costs one more, one less base strength, but also has a stealth restriction as well. So, in if you look at it like that it doesn't look like the most efficient thing so I guess the next thing is comparing it to dagger whether keeping strength is very impact is much more impactful than daggers much more efficient strength boosting and I don't think so like the number of situations in which you have two like I think you really need six strength sentries yeah even at six strength sentries like I'd still almost rather have Dagger. Like, Dagger takes more stealth credits, but still takes fewer credits in total. So, yeah, like, and the situation where they have multiple six strength, six or higher strength sentries on one server is fairly rare, bordering on impossible to begin with. So, 
I would say that, yeah, this card is just worse than Dagger in basically every conceivable way. Any thoughts, Hollis? I, I agree. It's it's definitely worse than Dagger. Uh, the only possible thing that could make this better uh, at a five cost would be to maybe have the starting strength higher, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I would, it's, I would normally assume that given the world of, like, paperclip, maybe gain X for paying X is not the worst thing possible because at the very least you're getting a one for one. But when you now make it a, hey, you got to spend a stealth credit, we already have an efficient breaker that basically allows you to spend one stealth credit for five strengths. That that math isn't quite making sense. But I guess it's cool to have an option and another option. So, yeah. Hmm, interesting. And Dagger is a non-rotating card too, isn't it? Because it was from Creation Control, is that right? Correct. It will it will be there uh, forever. Mm, for, so for life. I'm not sure how many people are going to be foxing instead of daggering but if we do see a proliferation of six strength centuries then it is entirely possible the last card in the pack is peace in our time isn't that a nice thought peace in our time the next card in the pack is peace in our time it is a neutral event one cost one influence pay only as your first click and only if the corp didn't score an agenda on the previous turn gain 10 credits the corp gains five credits the runner can't make a run this turn that is a lot of text that basically boils down to you have to pay or you have to give the corp some advantage. You have some play restrictions and you're limiting what you can do on this turn to have a gain nine card effectively for one click with only one cost up front. So that's significantly above the curve given that Shaw Gamble is five to be a plus four you'd have to beat that, meet that five credit threshold to be able to play it. This has a one credit threshold and it's a plus nine, but is giving the court five, which they're going to be able to use before you get a chance to win the game, if usually, um, or steal an agenda or st- interrupt their game plan, is giving them that five enough to make this card bad or does having a one cost plus nine is that just good enough on its own? What are your thoughts, Wolfie? Yeah, I think this card is extremely good. Like, I know it has a lot of restrictions, but really the restriction, the only major restriction is that the, you're giving, you're basically accelerating the corpse game plan um, as a cost because, you know, like, not being able to run this turn is sort of an issue, but if you're planning not really to run anyway in a turn like there are going to be turns in which you don't run and having this card very early is such a huge boost to your economy i think that the main issue will be managing that the corp gains five so i think what you want to do with this card especially is put it in a deck where you're really trying to overwhelm the corp like you're saying we're going to both let our engines run and my engine is going to overwhelm yours in the long game and so this speeds the game up for both players but speeds you up much more i think just because you're guaranteed to be able to utilize the huge credit boost whereas your opponent might not necessarily be able to due to their deck building decisions um although i do now given that your opinion on fisk investment seminar is that 
every time it's played against you, you're extremely happy. Could this fall into the same category? Admittedly, it gives the runner twice the benefit, whereas Fisk Investment Seminar is a one-for-one. Could this backfire on hapless runners who just play it out early? True, that's very reasonable. Um, A couple things uh, make this a bit different in my opinion. The first is that every cop is going to be able to use cards, whereas I think credits, especially... Like, corps often are a lot more reactive, especially if they have to set up a remote server. Like, no matter how many credits a corp has, if they're trying to score out a remote server and you can get set up fast enough, like, unless they can keep on running you through that server, they're not going to be able to score an agenda before you can get through that server. Like, it costs a lot for a corp, especially a slow corp, to establish any sort of scoring capability. Um which I think is fairly impactful. Like, the fact that if you can sit there and camp their remote, of course it makes it hard for them to score no matter how many credits they have. Um, Just because it takes a lot of time to build up a secure remote. So that's the first aspect that I think the credits and cards work a little differently in this case um, in the sense that if you play this early, you're sort of setting yourself up, whereas the corp, you might not be, whereas I think Fisk Investment Seminar is sort of the reverse. Like, sure, you get more cards, but playing three cards on your first turn isn't necessarily what you want to do as the runner, whereas the corp usually wants to play three cards on the first turn and three cards on the next turn, like, just because it doesn't cost anything to play most of their cards. Um, And the biggest drawback of giving the corp credits generally is that they can then go on top of you on credits and potentially out-trace you, and it's very unlikely that you playing this is going to allow them to do that, given it gives yes, you twice exactly. as many credits. exactly. And so the second point is that this, compared to Fisk Investment Seminar, which is you get the same benefit as the cop, this is sort of like um, a sure gamble, or like maybe, in, yeah, a sure gamble tacked on to each player gains five. Um, so even if you think that giving the corp five is like might benefit you the same as them like it's still a sure gamble that you can play for one even if you think that that's true so like i guess you have to think that that's true to think that this card is good right just because a one cost sure gamble would be i think a one like would definitely see play even as at one influence okay Interesting. And um, Hollis, do you think the one influence will hold this back from being played, or do you think it's uh, corps do have some influence to put into their economy? Uh, I think this is a runner card, right? Oh, sorry. Do you think runners do have some <laughs> influence yeah, to put I, into their economy? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I really do. I think that uh, when there's going to be scenarios, especially if we look at like uh, how much everyone was willing to sacrifice for, uh, you know, like a. Lucky Find. You know, Lucky Find was an amazingly efficient card because it was combined with, uh, uh, you know, hardware that allowed it to get, you know, an additional discount. I feel like this card, like Wolfie said, it, it you are giving the corporate advantage here by giving them additional money. And no, you're not going to be able to make a run that turn, but you are trying to set up, you know, your economy plan, your board state. And in some cases, I think you have to make a judgment call. If you're going to play a card like Peace in Our Time, you're going you're gonna to ask yourself, is my, you know, setting up my board and, and getting on the right track uh, 
uh, you know, because I haven't found my my Temujin or haven't found my Liberated or, or what have you, is that going to be that uh, you know hugely beneficial to my game plan uh, at some point in the game? And I think that uh, it is. I think that there's going to be plenty of runners who are going to drop two influence just because they have one available. They say, hey, why don't why don't I cut one more and just fit in a two X of this? Um, have a great big huge boost at the start of the game if I get, if I grab it and uh, you know just set me up for a long period of time. I think um, it's a hugely hugely advantageous card that is, that is worth the cost. I really do. Particularly if you can uh, put set the court back significantly by playing Cipher and then trashing their their ice. <laughs> yeah, that they exactly. spend their five credits resing. Yeah. yeah sorry, Wolfie, yeah, I, you I, I, I just I was just want to say two things quickly on this card. The first is that it's really good with Beth, which is, I think, already a sort of underplayed card for how powerful it is, just because it doesn't match up well against hard hitting use. And two, that it's reason. I think a reasonable counter argument to what I said earlier would be to say that Corp Burst Economy is usually stronger than Runner Burst Economy. Um, like just, or maybe Corp has fewer ways to gain. Corp has fewer good burst economy operations than Runner does, so this is a bit more of a drawback because you're competing against many good Runner economy cards, whereas Corp doesn't have as many. So mm. in that sense, I think it's a bit less um, sort of universally useful as maybe I made it out to be before. I think you really do need to build a deck which is happy to... Um, let both play give both players an influx of resources and just hope that that's better for you or like plan that that's better for you not necessarily to put it in every sort of deck but i think that the power level ceiling the ceiling on this card is so high in terms of its ability to influence a game for this simply for one card that it's worth building around yeah plus nine is certainly a lot of credits that brings us to the end of our what pack are we looking at again? Quorum. That brings us to the end of our Quorum <laughs> run aside uh, pack review. Hope you've enjoyed the first episode of 2017 from the Winning Agenda. We're glad to be back on the airwaves and looking forward to bringing you more content throughout store championship season and as we move through Terminal Directive and into the Red Sand Cycle. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us on Patreon, and if you want to throw a few dollars our way, you can head along to www.patreon.com slash thewinningagenda and shout out and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all of our wonderful Patreons. Uh, if you want to send us an email, you can do so at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. If you want to check us out on Facebook, you can do so at thewinningagenda. If you want to tweet us, you can tweet us at winningagenda. And if you want to discuss uh, the ethical conundrum of artificial intelligence and any of the issues raised by Neuromancer, you can tweet at chaosjuggler. I've been Jesse Marshall, here with Wilfie Horrig and Hollis Echo for The Winning Agenda. Have a good week. See you, everyone. Thank you so much.